0: So many of us want to live and that's a, a cool story. She, she referenced a phrase living like no one else. That's not an ego comment. That's a, that's a, that's a Dave Ramsey teaching point that, that says for a time you, you live like no one else, save, get out of debt, all those things, so that later you can live and give like no one else. I, I love it. And uh, six Monday nights, as Pastor Jeff mentioned on the video, financial peace workshop, the basics of personal finance. Over the next few years, I... Hope, my prayer, my hope pastorally is that everyone in our church family would go through this excellent teaching for this fall session. Six Mondays starting uh, the 24th of September, we have a guest facilitator, Dan Murphy, who has done this six-week course in numerous Edmonton churches, and we're blessed to have him. There's a minimal charge from for some excellent material that you'll receive. There's childcare available, and just can you imagine? Can you imagine living with what, What's financial peace? It's, it's, it's very possible. It is very possible. Uh, but it takes some intentionality. So take the step of signing up online or call the church office or September 23rd, our small group, sign up Sunday for the fall. Don't miss that. And you can have, you have opportunity to, uh, to sign up at that point as well. Before I dive into the message this morning, I want to update you regarding three key volunteer leadership roles in our church, and, and, and I do this to both inform you, and we can't do this with every role, but uh, just want to do it this morning, and uh, uh, also to, to honor uh, these, these servants of God a few weeks ago, maybe. A couple of months ago, we honored Sandy Brady, who for a decade has been our kitchen and coffee coordinator, a significant role, and we honored and, and applauded her ministry. Uh, Jaden O'Connor has stepped into that role, and we thank her for that, just bringing some, some good ideas, and uh, holistically and church-wise, some of those touches out on the front step there that we noticed, the benches and the pillows have stayed there all summer. I was skeptical about that. Wow. Uh, but it just looks so great. And, and Jaden, I know you and some other young adult leaders have, uh, have a part in that. So that's very cool. Uh, Jesse Jervis. Uh, you would often see him at the back, the computer. From the very beginning of this church uh, in 2006, 12 years this October has served as the coordinator for Media and Lighting. He's stepping back from that, although graciously expressed a willingness to still be available to provide any technical support needed or training as needed. Uh, Jesse, you're a blessing to this church. Uh, Pastor Jeff has recently stepped into a, a role that we've tagged as a, a Sunday creative director. So he'll be giving o- some broader oversight to some of these areas uh, re- regarding what happens here in this Sunday experience, as we sometimes refer to it, which, which, of course, includes media and lighting. Brandy Kozlowski has been our worship point leader for about seven years. She brought her heart for God it's very evident, and her love of worshiping God into that role in a, in a very deep way. She's recently stepped back from that role, although she will still be one of our Sunday morning worship leaders in the rotation, and, and uh, which, is a, which is a great blessing. Uh, Brennan Jenkins, who was just up here leading, who uh, recently graduated from the pastoral worship program of our Vanguard College, has stepped into that role uh, on a volunteer basis. And... Uh, came to me last summer, actually, and said, Dad, I feel that God is leading me to, to serve in Eaglemont. And uh, if there's an opening and an open door to volunteer 20 hours a week, I want to do that. And so um, uh, just a, a blessing to our church. And, and uh, Brandy, your, your heart in, in, uh, in this leadership transition is just so, so inspirational and a, and a credit to your character. And a, a blessing to the church as well. Uh, so we all uh, serve, hopefully, if this is your church family, in different ways. And uh, there's, there's many areas of, of serving I know that you probably sometimes feel just go unnoticed. The guys that come early and set up the chairs or the, the, guy, the technical guys that are fixing things around here and building maintenance and different things. Uh, you're, you're having a part in the work of God's kingdom in however it is you serve. And so I just, uh, I just honor each one of you uh, this morning for that. God, we thank you for your word, the Bible. We thank you that it's truth, and we thank you that we can build our life on something that is solid and will never disintegrate or disappear or diminish in, a, in power. We thank you for your word, in Jesus' name. I want to mention uh, next Sunday we begin a three-week series, and and Jeff mentioned this already, so I don't know why I'm saying it again. I'll stop now. If you're a guest here this morning, so great to have you with us. And if you're not a Christ follower, I want to commend you. I just say way to go for stepping out of what probably is the case, stepping outside your comfort zone to be here. Way to go. And and there may be some things that you can pick up on as I share this unique titled message um, about who we are as a church, as you listen. Again, to this rather unique title, If I Were the Devil. Now, I'm not the devil, even though my incessant teasing of my sisters when I was a kid probably led them to believe so. But I'm not. Most of us know... Of C.S. Lewis, or at least we know of his writings turned into a movie series, Chronicles of Narnia. Well, Lewis has another excellent and very insightful, creative book entitled Screwtape Letters. This message is a similar approach as that book to conveying biblical truth about uh, Satan's destructive influence in our lives. And, and just so it's stated... Satan is not a fictional character. He's not a fictional character. This message title, I want to say, is not my own. I heard it, this title, a couple times over the years, but the first time I heard this message And this message title was at our Pentecostal Assemblies uh, Leadership Conference, General Conference, about 14 years ago by keynote speaker Jack Haynes, who was uh, an American pastor but had moved to Australia as a missionary there to plant churches. And I believe he's still there today. This morning, about 70% of what you'll hear is his message. I think this is the second time I've done it. And both times I've said what I'm saying now, giving credit where credit's due. But I've wanted to share this message. If I could have Jack here, I would, but not possible. I've wanted to share this message with our church for quite a while and felt prompted that today was the time. I'm even going to start with the Pastor Haynes joke that he told those many years ago. He got up in front of 1,500 pastors and church leaders from across Canada and said... I'd like to give you a little Aussie wisdom. Aussie wisdom. Cool. Maybe something about how to respond when you get bit by a snake, a poisonous spider, or swimming in Australian waters, to come face to face with a great white shark. Aussie wisdom can, can do you well. So we dialed in. We listened. Aussie wisdom. Maybe helpful if we travel there. Well, he proceeded to say, never, ever, Under any circumstance, do not ever take a sleeping pill and a laxative at the same time. (laughs) Now, I have a fairly explorative personality. Didn't do it. Didn't do it. If I were the devil... First thing, remember that as Christ followers, we can talk about Satan without being fearful because he's defeated by Christ and he's powerless over us. Unless, of course, we open the door to his influence. The Bible says a lot, actually, about the devil, about Satan. He's been around for a long time, carrying out his destructive work to undermine every good purpose and plan that God has for us. The Bible refers to him many, many times. I hope you got a sheet of notes. This is more just to have so you can take home and review on your own time some of these scriptures and some of these points and think about them prayerfully. But we read in Isaiah 14. Are the slides on the screen? Yep. We read in Isaiah 14. That Lucifer, a.k.a. Satan, the devil, was kicked out of heaven by God because what pride had entered his heart and he wanted to unseed God. He wanted to take over the authority, the role of of control, God's heaven. That's the origin of every battle that we face today. Then later in the New Testament book of John, one of, John is one of the first four books of the New Testament. The New Testament, the fourth book, but one of four historically reliable records of the earthly life of Jesus Christ. And in John chapter 8, 44, Jesus said this about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning. He was, he has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character for he is a, a liar and the father of lies. Oh, I wish Jesus would have been more straightforward there. Huh. Jesus nailed it. That's who Satan is. Then in the New Testament letter written by the very first Christian Christian missionary, uh, the Apostle Paul. Apostle just means sent one. Paul is a guy who wrote under God's direction, the Holy Spirit's leadership, about half of the New Testament. Well, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says to the Christ followers, this letter was sent to the Christ followers in the city of Corinth. Good name for the book, Corinthians. He says that Satan has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. And Satan works hard at this. He does. And that's where, that's where prayer and that's where our personal life witness as Christ followers is so very important with the enablement and the power of the Holy Spirit working through us as we, as we live our lives and, and, and endeavor to show and share the good news of Jesus Christ in our daily life. Same author, different part of the book, 2 Corinthians. Chapter 11, Paul talks about deceitful people who disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. And then he says, but I'm not surprised, even Satan disguises himself as what? Some of you know it, an angel of light. And he does. So be aware. Revelation 12 refers to the devil as one deceiving the whole world. Ephesians 6 talks about putting on the full armor of God. There's a a soldier analogy there that we don't don't have time to get into. But uh, verse 11, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We're being warned. We're being made aware by God's loving word. He does have schemes against you, against me. There's a reason that the Bible addresses the deceptive character of Satan so many times because God does not want any of us to be deceived, destroyed, or distracted for those of us who are following Christ. doesn't want that for anybody. So, if I were the devil, from my time in heaven, however long that was, as an angel created by God originally, I would know that God cannot lie. Numbers 23, 19. In my, in my shriveled up little heart, I would know that God's word always comes to pass and that he always speaks the truth. I, w- I would believe it. I would believe that. But I would do everything I could to make you not believe it. I would try to make you think that you cannot rely on what God says in his word. If I were the devil, I would also know that what God says about my future is true in Revelation 20 and that there's nothing I could do about it. So I would do all I can in the relatively short time I have to disrupt and destroy every good plan and purpose that God has for his human creation. I would work hard at this if I were the devil because I know, I would know That my time is limited. If I were the devil, I would focus my assault on at least six things. Here we go. If I were the devil, I would marginalize missions in every church that would listen to me. By the way, missions is the activity that God calls every Christ follower to. Of lovingly sharing God's good news message around the world. But if I were the devil, I'd work to be sure that every church, in every church, missions is taken off the main page. I would try to get churches to, to categorize missions, you know, somewhere over in the corner beside the, the, the woman's quilting group or something. Now, we don't have one of those. If this was church in the 70s, we just may. But you, you understand what, what I'm saying. If I were the devil... I would do all I could to keep missions from becoming a priority in every church. I'd I'd be okay with pastors leading missions programs, but I would not. And I would do everything I could to keep pastors and other leaders from having a missions passion. I would be okay if Christians had a missions awareness. But I would not want um, Christians to have a missions commitment. And I would do everything I could to keep that from being the case. Friends, there was, a, there was a period in church history of about 300 years where missionaries were not sent out because the priority of the church was to keep the doctrine pure. If I were the devil, I'd think those were good years in that way. Now, don't misunderstand me. Pure doctrine, theological truth aligned with God's word, is very important. But if we don't have God's heart for people who are spiritually lost, that's, that's the death knell of the church of Jesus globally. If I were the devil... I would deceive Christians into thinking that missions Sundays are boring. I would try to keep you from praying for spiritually lost people across the street or across the sea. I would deceive Christians into thinking, you can't afford to give to missions. The more you give, the more you're going to lose is, would be my, would be my uh, argument, my position. I would work to convince you that going in missions is just a waste of time if I were the devil. If I were the devil, I'd look around at some resourced churches and Christians in North America and think that I'm doing a pretty good job of this. Secondly, if I were the devil, I'd get Christians to focus on temporary things, not on eternal things. Now, you've you got to understand, whether you're, a, whether you're a Christ follower or not, it's very easy, isn't it? Marlowe speaking now. It's very easy to focus on things in this world that... That won't matter after life in this world is over. And so if, so if I were the devil, I'd, I'd, I'd work this. I'd whisper in your ear, come on, right now is all you have, man. Why bother thinking about eternity or eternal things? That's such a long ways off. Come on, you deserve to enjoy life now. If I were the devil... I try to keep you from understanding what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4 about the importance of having our primary focus on what is unseen and eternal rather than what is seen and temporary. If I were the devil, I'd get as many Christian books and podcasts talking about how I can improve my life. I'd get Christians focusing on me and now and not on others and eternity. That's what I'd do if I was the devil. Thirdly, if I was the devil, I would mislead you into believing that the purpose of prosperity is to enjoy your life more and make your life more comfortable. That's what I do. I'd convince Christians that the best thing to do is to accumulate as much as possible because there's security in that, you know. I'd convince them. I'd get Christians to love earthly treasures and toys. So much that love for heavenly treasures and spiritual investment would just get squeezed out. I'd work hard, if I were the devil, to entice you to buy more stuff. And again, I'm doing a pretty good job of this. I'd make fashions change very often to keep you spending. I'd cultivate a sense of need to upgrade, to supersize, to accumulate more because how much is enough? Just a little bit more. In my role as deceiver, I'd try to get Christians spending on themselves and possessing and acquiring stuff so they would not even have time to begin to ponder the words of Jesus when he said, Do not, do not store up treasure on earth where moth, rust, and thieves steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven in Matthew 6. Friends as followers of Christ, we are not owners of what we have, are we? We're not the owners. We're, we're simply stewards or managers of what God has given to us. I mean, that is a big responsibility. Everything we have, we need to remember this, everything we have has been entrusted to us by God to use for his glory, for the good of others, and, and for his loving purposes. But if I were the devil, I would work hard to try to make sure you don't see it that way. Fourthly, if I were the devil, I'd mess with the priorities of Christians. That's what I'd do. A little story about messed up priorities. About a lady who had two excellent tickets, great seats for a Stanley Cup playoff game. The seat beside her her other ticket was empty, unoccupied. Finally, at the end of the first period, the guy behind her leans forward and says, Ma'am, I, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, I can't figure out why that seat is not <laughs> filled by somebody. I, this, in the game that we're at, the, the place was packed, this, but the seat was vacant. The guy couldn't hold back his curiosity anymore, so he had to ask her about it. She said, Oh, that, that ticket was my husband's. and." He passed away recently. Oh, the man felt bad, and oh, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And after a brief pause, pursued the questioning a little bit. He said, I'm still surprised, though, that, that, a, that a friend or a relative wouldn't take that ticket and be, and be sitting with you tonight. She said, I, I don't understand it either. They all decided to go to the funeral. <laughs> bad, bad. Messed up priorities. If I were the devil, I'd have misguided priorities as one of my top agendas for you. I would do everything I could to keep you from one of God's top priorities for his followers. I would do all I could to keep you from gathering together for prayer. Because as the arch enemy of God, prayer scares me a lot. I'd work hard to keep you from prayer. If I were the devil, I'd deafen the ears of Christians to the sound of a ticking clock. I'd work to make you think you have lots of time to turn the corner on that temptation that you so often fall to. You've got lots of time to reach your neighbor for Christ. Or you've got lots of time, I would convince you, I would try to convince you that you've got lots of time to mend that broken relationship. I'd tell you that there's lots of time to get to those changes in your life. Start next month or start in the new year. Make make it your new year's resolution. Do it then. Sadly, too many people who have believed this lie about God's priorities for life. Before you know it, their 70 or 80-year-old self-focused life is over, or sometimes much sooner than that. If I were the devil, I'd try to keep Christians from noticing Psalm 39.4 that says, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth is. If I were the devil, I'd try to minimize Jesus' priority for sharing his good news message. I'd work to convince Christians that time in this world is an inexhaustible resource so that God's main priority, the Great Commission, would be downgraded in our minds to merely a mediocre option. And if you're not aware, the Great Commission was a statement by Jesus to his disciples just before he miraculously ascended back to heaven. And he just said, go. Share my good news. All around the world. That's it. That's a great commission. Marlowe's paraphrase, but that's a great commission. If I were the devil, I'd mess with that. I'd mess with that being a, a top priority for any Christian. I'd do everything I can to interrupt it. To stop it. To hinder it. If I were the devil, I'd also mess with the priorities of Christians so that they'd get to the end of their life and realize that they somehow didn't get around to doing everything they could to reach the world for Christ. And then I'd begin again with the next generation, building on the wonderful example of the previous one. Fifthly, if I were the devil, I would make it a priority to distort the thinking of Christians about the church. One of the ways I'd accomplish this if I were the devil, I'd make you think the church is all about you. That's what I do. I would make you think, do everything I could if I were the devil. I'd try to make you think the church, the most important thing, is what you get out of it. I try to make it so that your primary focus when you go to church is what you'll receive. I get you to focus on self-centered questions like, will anyone notice that I'm there? Will I like the music? Will I like the preaching? Will it be funny enough or engaging enough? Are my needs being met? Am I being fed? Who's including me? Is my voice being heard? There's, there's lots of questions that I would plant in your mind if I were the devil. My Christian friends... Marlo speaking. What about the person that God wants you to encourage when you're in the gathering like this? What about the single mom that God wants you to go over to and and encourage and pray for and and give a a grocery card to? What about that student that you could be a a, a positive influence, example of uh, upon for, for showing your openness and your love for God's word? What about the ministry of greeting or teaching children whatever it is to to help make the gathering all that it can be for others if i were the devil i'd try hard to keep you that to keep you from thinking about the sunday gathering through a serving and selfless lens I'd make Christians think that Hebrews ten twenty five is merely a weapon that pastors use to make people feel guilty when it says, let us not neglect our meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another. And that happens when we're together. If I were the devil, I'd try to make you believe that meeting very consistently with other Christians isn't all that important, especially in the day of podcasts. Come on. I'd work hard to make you believe that there's no spiritual risk to decreasing your connection with your church family, with the body of Christ. I'd, I'd try, if I were the devil, I'd try hard to see that you fill your calendar with things that make it difficult for you to build that consistent pattern of gathering together with your church family for yours and their spiritual well being. Again, if I were the devil and I looked at churches today, some of them, many of them, maybe, I'd have reason to think that I'm doing a pretty good job at this. If I were the devil, I'd work hard to minimize the value of Christian community in your mind. I'd make you think you can figure out all of life's stuff on your own because you've got the internet. huh? Marlo speaking. If we think that we're smart enough or gifted enough or aware enough, all all, all on our own to accomplish things like building a strong marriage that lasts a lifetime or learning to manage money God's way or, or, or all on our own raise godly children who passionately love and serve Jesus. If, if we think we can do that all on our own, things like that, we're fooling ourselves. We're fooling ourselves. And I, I think the devil's happy if we think that way. If I were the devil... I'd make you think that accountability in the body of Christ is too uncomfortable and way too invasive. I'd, I'd work to make you like the guy in Proverbs 5 who goes down the path to adultery like a, like a, like a, 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 a bull to the slaughter is referenced. Graphic picture, isn't it? And it starts with pride that keeps that man from being honest about the temptation. It, it, it's, it's, it keeps him, his pride does, from, from asking for help or receiving direction from godly influences in the context of the body, in the small group or whatever. It keeps him from confessing to a trusted Christian friend what's going on in his heart and head before it happens. If I were the devil, I'd convince you you do not need the body of Christ what I do. It's what I definitely do. The enemy will lead you to a place of regret, like is expressed in Proverbs 5, 12 to 14. He writes, if only, if only I had not ignored all the warnings, if only I had listened to those who tried to teach me Satan will try to distort your perception of the church and minimize its value and influence in your life. Be on guard for this. And lastly this morning, if I were the devil, I'd work hard to convince you that you can't fully be confident of God's forgiveness of your sin. As your accuser, Satan... As your accuser, I would torment you with thoughts like, are are you kidding me? You can't ask God to forgive you again for that. Don't fool yourself. You might as well just pack it in. Give up hope of being ever forgiven by God again. If I were the devil, that's what I'd do. If I were the devil, I would try to make you think that First John one nine doesn't apply to you, where it says, "If we confess our sin to God, He is just and fair to forgive us, willing to forgive us of all of our sin." If I were the devil, I would definitely work hard at trying to make you doubt God's forgiveness to the point where you'd stop asking for it. If I were the devil, these are some things that I would do. My friends, there are way too many times when Satan is effective at these schemes As Ephesians six uses that word far too many times in all of our lives, in one way or the other. As your as your pastor, I want I want you, deeply want you, and I want this for myself. I, I, I want you to be able to recognize the destructive lies of the enemy of God and the enemy of our souls. Satan. I I want you to know, I want you to know your Bible well enough and, and and really know God's truth and allow it to flow daily into your mind and into your heart. So you'll be able to immediately reject the lies that Satan will attempt and does attempt to whisper into your mind and into your heart. I, I want for all of us to embrace God's truth in his word and, and, about, about every aspect of life so so that Satan's call it three dimension assault will have no influence on our life his 3d assault deceive destroy distract and could step into a fourth dimension discourage so if you're a Christian Here's the truth. Do you know it? It takes a lifetime. I've been a Christ follower a long time. I spent a lot of time in the Word of God. And sad to say, segments of time that this was. This precious book was neglected in my life as well. I'm not propping myself up here. I'm just saying. I've I've read it a lot. And I I feel like the well is, uh, there's more here than I realized 30 years ago. Sometimes even to the point of feeling like there's more I don't know now than I used to. That's okay. It's a journey of growth, engagement with God's word. So if you're a Christ follower, don't fear Satan. And listen, don't don't be overly fixated with him or fixated on his activities of what he could do or might do. uh, Be aware, but don't be overly fixated if I can say that. And, and again, be in God's word daily so, so truth can flow, I put it that way, can just flow consistently, consistently. Truth flowing into your mind and your heart. It's important if we're going to be on guard effectively against the lies of Satan that he will try to bring to us. Jesus defeated Satan. I'm standing with Jesus. And, and so many of you are. So my prayer for you this morning is that if you have allowed yourself to be impacted negatively by any of these lies or any others, that, that, that today would be a day when you say, no more. Satan has tormented me too long in this area. No more. I'm shifting things. I'm shifting my focus and my attention and my diligence to the word of God in a way like I've never before. I pray that for you. There's others of you that may be on a journey of seeking spiritual answers to life and you're trying to connect the dots on what it means to be a Christ follower. For you, this, this whole deal starts with understanding and responding to, to, to at least three biblical truths about how to connect with God relationally. They're on the screen there. First of all, to be able to acknowledge that Jesus Christ died for you, And in doing so, took upon himself the penalty for sin, which was death, so you wouldn't have to die, which just simply means separation. Death is. So you and I would not have to be separated from our creator for eternity. Jesus stepped in, became the bridge between us and a holy God. There's nothing I do. I just place my faith in what Christ did for me there. And then you invite. You invite God to be the forgiver of your sin and the leader of your life. Then you commit, you determine to obey God and to to know and obey his word as, as he begins to establish his good plan in your life as you're now in relationship with him. That's what becoming a Christian is. It's not signing on the dotted line in some institution or church or, you know, the body, of course, as we just said, is important, but you're, you're a Christian, a Christ follower, a disciple of Christ, a learner of the way of Jesus in relationship with him because you choose to step into that relationship. And for some of you, today could be your day. If that's not where you are, but you want to be, the Bible says that as you make that commitment, as you look God's way and you make that kind of commitment, surrender your life to Christ, receive his forgiveness, begin to walk with him. Doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. None of us are. But you know what Luke 15 says? It says there's a party in heaven. When, when, you, when people come to Christ, there's a, there's a party. In, the, the angels celebrate, and, and so do other Christians. I'd love to have some of that celebration this morning. Not by pointing anyone out, but by, by you... Allowing me to pray for you in these significant moments right now as we close, as we transition in just a moment. So I'm going to ask everyone just to bow their heads, close their eyes. So Christians, just pray for people right now who who may be in this place of, of making a decision about the most important thing that you could ever make a decision about, right? This, this stuff. Today, you're saying, I, I want to do that, Marlo. I, I know God loves me, and I, I, I want to walk with him. I want to know that he's my friend, that he's the forgiver of my sin, the leader of my life. He's, he's my savior. He's, 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 he's Lord, the one who's in control of my life. He created me. I, I see that. I want to turn from my sin and surrender to him. If that's your desire today, I want you just to look my way real briefly. I'm not going to point you out publicly or anything right now or, or later. Um Look my way and just raise your hand. Tomorrow, I want to respond to Christ's invitation and step into a relationship with him today. Is there anybody in this place that would want to do that? I want to give you that opportunity as we close. I I just wouldn't be right if if I didn't give you that opportunity today. Is there anybody that would like to make that commitment to Jesus Christ today? Thank you. See that hand, young man. Way to go. Way to go. Anybody else? Wait for 10 seconds more. <coughs> Heavenly Father, as Christ followers, we thank you that you've said such significant, life altering things for our benefit. May we tap into that through your word, Lord not be influenced by the lies of Satan anymore because he is defeated by Jesus Christ already we place you on as as it were on the throne of our lives Lord and you're the influence in everything and for everything about our lives Lord we confess that we ask that we declare that we want that Pray that in your own words right now, Christian friend. Jesus. Father, I thank you for this one courageous young man who expressed by upraised hand what's in his heart. To know you and to follow you. To walk in relationship with you. God, I thank you for his life. Thank you that you love him so much. Thank you that you've got a good plan and a purpose for his life to to just live life loving God and loving people. Powerful. Help him to engage in that, Lord. May he solidify his relationship with you (coughs) in the days and weeks ahead through your word and through the body of Christ, through prayer. I give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. (coughs) A <coughs> couple things. Parents, don't pick up your kids till 1130. This is part of our gathering. We're not concluding, we're transitioning. And this will be our pattern in the weeks ahead. Test driving it a little bit. To provide an opportunity, as we've done before, of course, but we value relationships. And deep relationships, how did they start? With that first hello. Mutually supportive relationships, how do they start? With that first handshake. So, here's your opportunity to do something that is valuable to God. Relationships. And so, uh, don't pick up your kids before 1130. Their program goes till that time. We appreciate that. And... uh, Thank you for taking advantage of the opportunity to connect together. And then secondly, guests among us, newcomers, we invite you over to the table. Ryan, you can give a wave. And you can meet Ryan and his wife Amber might be there as well. But you can move, uh, make your way over to that table. And that's just a little opportunity for um, connecting and welcoming you. We'd love, we'd love to meet you. And uh, help provide you with information or answer questions or, or commit to find the answers to questions you might have about Eaglemont Church. So, guests, newcomers, uh, take advantage of this opportunity this morning. God bless you. Have an awesome week. And as we go, Christians, we're going representing Christ in our world. We're for people. We're for Beaumont. We're for our community. Let God use you. God bless you.